microphone is on, but uh, for, I've done my part. Um, great. It's just an honor to be here. Uh, we were a part of the journey when it was meeting. Before it ever had met, I have pictures. I was telling earlier that we have pictures of uh, when they, the first group came over to St. Louis and came there in the Hanley building and uh, took a picture. I said, this, something's going to happen. And I just happened to pull back, take that picture. I'm going to find it and perhaps send it to you. But it, it's a great a great honor to see this. The last time that I was in the journey, we were in the pavilion, okay? And we're meeting there in this, pulled all the children's ministry, portable things all up and pulled together. And uh, what a great, what a great time that was. Very memorable. Uh, I have a picture of Tim Bueller and I standing at the sign uh, at the pavilion and the little reader board was coming through at the, at the time and it says um, the journey beginning whatever day it was. And so uh, that's a, that's a special days. I'm so, so glad the Lord has shown his favor upon you, has shown his faithfulness, and you've shown your faithfulness to this body and seeing what it is now. So God bless you. What a great day. So if you're turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. Acts 12 is a narrative underlying the relationship between God's miraculous power and his people praying. So I'd ask you the question, what issue in your life is in need of some powerful, miracle-working power in your life? What is it? I mean, some of you are struggling with health issues, I know. Um, age catches up with, with all of us. I started to say most of us, but it's, it's all of us, isn't it? It's uh, some with finances, perhaps you're stuck in a habitual sin, or maybe a depression or some kind of fear. Many of us have relationships that are broken and at least sensitive. The question I ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's... Let's look at this verse here. Jeremiah 32, 27. God said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? God is saying, is anything too hard for me? You remember who I am? I am the God of all flesh, all creation, everything, this universe. Is anything too hard for me? This is the God that when the Valley of Bones, Ezekiel prophesies about this valley of dry bones, not just bones that were fresh off, you know, peeled off. I mean, these are dry, dead, all the, everything is gone out of it. And he said, prophesy over these bones that they may live. And Ezekiel said, and then God asked Ezekiel the question, do you think these bones can live again? And Ezekiel didn't answer straight up. He said, you know, Lord, <laughs> like, I don't know, I doubt it, but you know, Lord. And it, sure enough, that's what happened. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What is going on in your life that you need a touch from the Lord? What is it? All of us have something. All of us have something in our life that is tearing at us, breaking us apart, that we're worrying about at night. Acts 12 is for us. 15 of the 25 verses in Acts 12 are about prayer. 
So let's look and see what it has to say about it. Now, God is the main character in this story. And it is a story. But God wants to be the main character in your story as well. He chose Peter to be an instrument of his glory. And, and he may be choosing you right now to go through whatever issue that you're going through. It's for his glory. I mean, can you imagine what you're going through and think this could be for God's glory? I'm reminded of the story where the disciples asked Jesus, said when they walked to a man was born blind. And they asked Jesus, said, for what reason is this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither, but that the Son of Man may be glorified. And so God may be taking you through an issue, and those issues may not be even solved all the way until glory, until heaven. But there, right now, we have to give them over to God and say, this is for your glory. It's what Peter did. He's going to show us. So let's look in Acts Chapter 12, starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Problems drive us to prayer. <laughs> Problems drive us to prayer. When the church experienced this, they'd already killed James, now they've arrested Peter. And this Herod is a reference to Herod Agrippa I. Herod the Great his grandfather is the one that found out that there was going to be a savior born in Bethlehem. And so he, he charged that all of babies under two years old should be eliminated. All baby boys under two years old should be eliminated, killed. The Herods, as they're called, all of these, the lineage coming from Herod the Great and such, were this group of people that had power, but they were given power not by the Jews, although they were living in Jewish country. They were given power by the Romans and Caesar. And so the Jews didn't like them because they deferred to Rome. And you need to understand that for this story. It makes sense. So Herod earned popularity right away because that he killed James. And he saw that, oh, well, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, two sons of Zebedee. James was the first apostle who was martyred. John was the last apostle who lived, these two brothers. So James, the, he killed James, and the, it pleased the Jews. And the reason it's in there is because the Jews weren't very happy. They didn't like the Herods. Didn't like them. Didn't like that they brought that in. But he had to get in favor. He, had to, he was living in that area, trying to rule over. And this Herod Agrippa had a lot of power at this time. 
And the popularity grew, so he said, all right, then I'm going to go after the big guy, Peter. And he brought Peter and put him in prison just before unleavened bread. And it's time after the Passover. Now, during this Passover, it was very holy. You know, we don't have anything of quite this nature, but think of Good Friday to Easter. It's this Good Friday, we, we rep- represent it and we, we respect it. We look forward to Easter and it just becomes this one big holiday. That's what this was. It was the week after Passover. Passover was when they remembered, um, they put the blood on the doorpost and on the top. And if the death angel came, they would pass over. And if it, they didn't have the blood applied, then it would go in and kill the oldest son. And this, so this is a picture, remembrance of God's protection over the Israelites while they were in Egypt. And it was holy days. So Herod couldn't do anything to Peter during that time because that would be blasphemy. It would be just uprising of the people. The religious folks wouldn't like this at all, that you're doing this, killing Peter during this time. And they didn't like Peter. In fact, the one thing that the Herods and the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders, had in common was they hated Jesus and his church. And so that's why it pleased the Jews that they killed James. Now they're going after Peter, and let's see what happened. What was the response of the church? Herod put Peter in maximum security. He chained him to two soldiers and put two other soldiers outside the gate. And he he did this, he used four sets of these four men. And he did not want to take any chance that they were going to do this. And what happened with the church? How did they respond? Did they form a committee? Did they get outside consult? Did they strategize? Did they think it through? What did they do? They prayed. They prayed. And problems in our life lead us to prayer. We, we have a tendency to go to him in prayer when we're really in need. And the more we're in need, the more we go to him and lean on him. And then when the problem is solved, let's just name it, we have a tendency to walk away from prayer. So these problems can be blessings in our life and it draws us close to the one who can accomplish what we need in our life. To do what he's calling us to do. To follow him in some way. We're not as likely to pray when our problems go away. So, but... Church prayed, and they prayed, it says, earnestly. The church prayed earnestly. This is the same word that was used of Jesus when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest and crucifixion. Remember, he, he sweat drops of blood in praying. And the church was not just gathered together and say, like over a meal, praying, and remember Peter, poor boy, he's in, he's in prison. And they were... They were wailing. They were gathered together. They were praying earnestly, saying, please, Lord, come, deliver him. And they had to wonder which power was stronger, Herod or God? 
the dungeon or their prayers? The guards or the church? Who was more powerful? And sometimes God takes us up to the end. He wants to disable, dismantle, dissolve all of our resources. Why? So we turn to him. He wants to be like, see, now you can trust me. In Nashville, probably didn't happen here, but in Nashville, we had this thing called the pandemic. And it changed everything. It seemed like people were coming together and praying and asking God and seeking him. And it, we, we survived. We survived. We, we saw actually flourishing of the church go forward. I'm uh, the executive pastor and responsible if we get low on money. Um, and that was my one fear. It was like, oh Lord, if we don't pass the offering plate, it's not going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I'm in trouble. I'm responsible. I've got to, that was one fear I had. And guess what? We were $60,000 ahead for the year. I mean, it's not a huge amount, but $1 ahead was a huge amount to me. And the Lord, and I said, oh, he can do it. The Lord can provide. That's what I learned from that. That in the midst of trial and tribulation and trouble, God provides. And when I go through it again, guess what? I know he can provide. So he takes us to these places. He wants to know he's the one. Paul told the church in second, let me just read it to you. Second Corinthians 1, 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt that way? I have. I have. I have been to such an extent of despair in my life that I didn't want to live. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. You know, even if I wanted to live, somebody or else was saying, you're going to die. I received the sentence of death. But that was to make, look, watch, this is what Paul said. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <laughs> is anything too hard for the Lord? He, he can... A burial has to take place before a resurrection takes place. And God is seen most powerfully in the resurrection. And so they prayed. The church prayed. And it wasn't just get private prayer. Y'all go to your private devotions and do your thing, and I'm all for that. But this is the church came together. They said, let's pray together. It was all one. It's the only thing that gives us hope. It's prayer to God. As his children, we have access to the Father. You remember what he says? Pray in this manner, Jesus said to his disciples. Because they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We're watching you pray. And power comes out of that. Teach us to pray and say, so we pray after this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said, pray to the Father. We don't have to go through anybody else. We, we go to the Father. Why? Because we're his children. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we're his children and we go to the Father. I can ask my Father for anything. 
my, my Father and my Heavenly Father. It's not a sin to get discouraged. It's not a sin to get frustrated or even angry or despair. But it is a sin to try to solve it without the hand of God. As believers, as he wants us to go there. Well, problems drive us to prayer. But peace comes through prayer. Now, I want you to see this. Look in Acts 12, starting in verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him, Peter, out on that very night, what was he going to do to Peter? He was going to kill him, right? So it was the night before, he said on that very night, before he was going to bring him out to kill him. He'd already killed James. Peter knew that. He knew why he was in there. He knew why he was in maximum security with guards next to him, guards here, and there was an iron gate leading out. There's no way he was getting out. Peter wanted to make sure that his, his prize was going to be still there after the, that time of the Passover. And it says, that very night, watch what happened. What was Peter doing? Sleeping between two soldiers. Now, not only that, watch, read it. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. Now watch. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. If you've had children, maybe this has happened to you, but you're dead asleep. It's in the middle of the night and your three-year-old comes into your room and just stares at you. You're dead asleep. You're thinking of great things going on, happening in your life. And all of a sudden you get this eerie feeling and you just wake up and you turn and that three-year-old is right there. Can I have a glass of water? You know, something major that they need. And you just wake up like you're startled. That's happened. That's happened to me more than once, perhaps to you as well. And like, how is an angel in the room? It says the angel came and it stood next to him. Angel wasn't off in the corner, you know, hovering or something. The angel came and stood next to him and he was still asleep. Now, not only that, but a, a great light shone. I don't like light in the room. My wife loves light in the room. And I'm, I hid one time, I hid all of the little night lights. I hit them. And it was a big fight because she, I can't sleep with them. I can't sleep with them on and she can't sleep with them off. And there's just like, so we have two bedrooms and it's basically <laughs> what it comes down to. And so, but I, if a light comes on immediately, bing, I'm, I'm awake. A light shone. Now that's on a normal day. Your kid comes in, the light goes on. But what about if you're going to be killed the very next morning? You're snoring? Seriously? You're asleep? How is that possible? When I, I used to travel 75% of the time, and when I'd go to these early, early, early flights, 
There was one at 5 a.m. that would go out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is like, is, there's, America doesn't even have a time zone for it, literally. It's an Atlantic time zone. It's outside of Eastern. And so I'd, I'd get there and I'd minister during that day and you're all messed up with time-wise. And then you get up for a 5 a.m. flight. Now you don't get up at 5 a.m. for a 5 a.m. flight, right? You get up at, well, for me, it was I got up at 11, 12, <laughs> 1, 2, Finally at three, I got up. I kept waking up. How in the world did Peter stay sleeping during all of that? He was going to be killed. It's the peace that comes through prayer. God wants to give you this gift of peace amid all your trouble and all you have to do is pray. Now, it's not pixie dust. It doesn't go away unless he chooses. But what you do is you say, into your hands, Lord, I commit this issue, whatever it is in your life. Eight years ago, my wife went into, her name is Jeannie, went into the hospital with acute renal failure in both kidneys. <laughs> I'm sitting next to the bed. Um, I've buried people who've had acute renal failure. And I'm, I had this look, I must have had this look on my face, just like uh, devastated. She finally looked over at me, saw my face and said, you either need to change your look, pray, or leave. Those are your three choices. Because you're not going to sit there and look like you're devastated, like the whole world is falling apart. I'm the one, she said, with kidney disease, not you. And uh, so... Moving forward then, we happened to move to Toronto, this beautiful city in Canada, the biggest city, one of the biggest cities in North America. And we moved to Toronto. She still has this uh, kidney disease. And um, she said, you're in remission. So I asked her, do you want to go to Denver, see your dad, and uh, then fly up to Seattle and see your boys? And of course, her answer is yes um, uh, for all of that. She felt good enough to fly. We just about going to land in Denver. She gets up to go to the restroom because she's not feeling well and takes five steps and collapses. Is there a doctor on board? That kind of thing. Like they had to come. Uh, we were on Air Canada at the time and they, they forbid her from flying Air Canada until she could prove that she was healthy. And she said, that's fine, I'm never flying Air Canada again. And so she, she went to the doctor in Denver and the doctor said, girl, you are so sick. You don't do anything. Don't pass go, don't collect $200, go directly home. Don't go back to Canada. You, you, you're really sick. So we happen to be in her dad's basement now I had this beautiful condo in Toronto. 
I was paying like, I think it was $30 a week, $30,000 a week. It was just really expensive there, especially when this six, 60% uh, exchange rate, it was like we couldn't afford to do anything else but live in her dad's basement. So we're there for 18 months in her dad's basement. I couldn't find a church that I really resonated with and I met with a few people and they said, why don't you start a church? And so we prayed about it. We decided to start a church and I was going back and forth to Canada. I was commuting to Canada from Colorado. And anyway, so they would, the group there would, would do all the ministering the week and I'd come on the weekend and preach and lead, meet with the leadership team and such. And they found a beautiful old bar um, that um, was for sale. Now, we weren't even a church yet. <laughs> we had not had our first service yet, and they found a bar for sale. And I said, uh, we, gotta, we can't buy anything. We're going to have to rent something. And they said, just believe. That's what they told me, the pastor, the founder of this church. They said, just believe. All right. And I was taking, this was an old bar. I was taking a man there walking through it. He's checking out the gas line or something. And he was walking um, across the room. And he said, what are you going to do with this building? It was like a rugged bar, like a really wild one. And I said, well, it's going to be a church. He stopped in his tracks. And he goes, I turned around and he said, I hope you have a whole bunch of holy water. He said, I've been here, and I can't believe this is going to be a church. Well, we go into the, the building, and we launch the first service. Getting ready to, it's a Saturday night before we're going to launch that very first service. And I come home, and Jeannie's crying. When I say home, I'm thinking her dad's basement. And she's crying, and I go, what, what did I do? Okay, that's, that's what a good husband does. What did I do? <laughs> and then what's wrong? And she's crying because she's reading on her phone. She's reading the Facebook posts that are taking place of people saying, come to this new church called City Church. Come to City Church. It's going to launch on this day. And she said this. There's a church starting. It was downtown. There's a church starting downtown tomorrow because you're here. You're here because I got sick. And if that's what it took to start a church, I'm glad I got sick. That's peace. We did end up buying this thing. I don't know how we raised money. I still don't know how anybody gave us a loan for the building. We were one week old got a loan for the building. I don't know how that happened, but the Lord was in the whole thing. It's saying, my problems become God's glory. No matter what they are, they can be God's glory. Well, power comes through prayer as well. Let's look in verse 8. The angel said to him, Peter, 
Remember, he came. the angel came, stood in there, light shone, and he says, get up, get your clothes on. So he says, dress yourself, put on your sandals, and he did. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they passed through the first and second guards, those first set of guards there that were guarding the door. So those that were laying next to him, the chains fell off. It goes through the next first and second guards guarding those doors. And then he came up to the iron gate that was leading into the city and the gate opened for them of its own accord. God is over all creation and there's nothing that can shut out his plan and his will for your life. And the big iron gate just opened up like you're walking into Publix or somewhere. You step and you go, the doors just open. When we were kids, there used to be a mat. Some of you remember this. I think you're, you're about my age. There was this mat right there by the door and you had to, there wasn't any infrared eye there that could see you coming open, but you'd have to, you'd have to step on the mat. Remember that? And then the doors would open and we'd always step on it, keep stepping on my dad, go, stop it, quit doing that. And we never quit. But it, it, this iron gate opened up leading into the city and opened for them in its own accord. And they went out and went along the street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, realizing, oh, this wasn't a vision. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Herod chained him. This his trophy catch. He chained him. He put guards out there. He put him behind an iron gate thinking it'll be fine. It's just seven days. He'll be fine. He intended to have him stuffed and mounted the next day and was anticipating doing this. Then it's sure the disciples would come and steal him away so he's going to protect it all around there. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, said, an angel fetched Peter from the prison, but prayer fetched the angel. God often brings us to this door of impossibility just to see if we're going to ask, seek, knock. Jesus said, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, again, he doesn't give us everything we ask for, but he gives us sometimes more than we ask for, and he gives us something different. He answers all prayer, by the way. God answers all prayer, but sometimes the prayer, the answer is no. Sometimes it's not now. Just as you did with your children growing up. You don't give them everything they want. You give them what they need and what's going to be good for them, what's going to benefit them and our Heavenly Father the same. Verse 12. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. This is John Mark. Um, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl, girl named Rhoda came to him and answered. 
And recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, here was the story. If you were in charge of a, of a prisoner and the prisoner gets away, you, those guards get whatever the prisoner's sentence was. In this case, it was death. Don't you know those prisoners, those prison guards were looking for Peter? Don't you know that all of Herod's security was on the watch for this? And it, it got released. He's gone. He's out on the lamb. He, they're, they're out looking for him. And here, Peter goes to that one safe place. He knew he came to this house uh, where they had prayed together. It must have been a large house because all of them were gathered together praying. They're in the middle of the night and he knocks on the door quietly, hoping someone will hear him. And here comes Rhoda and she recognizes who he is. And then she rushes back inside, leaving Peter on the doorstep outside the gate. This was like, not in a doorway, but there was a, a fence, if you will, protecting the house. And that's where Peter was. He was still standing outside there. He's very vulnerable to people coming and then recapturing him and putting back in prison and then killing him. And here Rhoda, she lost, she came running back in the disciples. Peter's alive. Peter's here. So she tells him this. She recognizes Peter's voice in her joy. That means she was so happy. She wasn't thinking straight. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but she run in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And now here's what the disciples said to her. Now, understand this. What were they there for? What was that group of people inside the house? What were they there to do? To pray. What were they praying for? Peter's release. This is important to understand this. So they said to her, verse 15, you are out of your mind. <laughs> you remember what they were praying for? Peter's release. And Peter was released. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. In other words, Herod had put up so many protective elements. There's no way Peter's getting out. No way. So they said, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, oh, it's his angel. Because the Jewish tradition would be believed if someone was dead, their angel would take on their visage. It's just his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Hmm, does that an angel continue knocking? I don't know. Now they're, they're wondering. And then they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, like all kinds of ruckus is going on, and they're telling her she's crazy, and she, he has to keep knocking. Meanwhile, he's trying to get in like a ninja into this place and get safe. And so he's saying, like, shh, be quiet. Just let me in, and we'll worry about it once we get inside. In verse 17, but motioning him with his hand to be silent, describe to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, that's the brother of our Lord, not the one who was persecuted earlier, and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So it's, it's interesting to me that God answered their prayer even though they did not, quote, have enough faith to believe. And people will sometimes misguidedly tell you 
that you have to have enough faith. If you'll just have enough faith and believe, it'll happen. And those are, those are false. Don't know where that came from. We do believe in God. We do have faith in him. But the amount of faith we have, as in the amount of faith that they had here, this group of early believers gathered together, they didn't have enough faith to believe that Peter was even there when Peter was already there. They heard his voice. They thought it was as it is an image, his angel. And they still didn't believe. Sometimes the Lord answers our prayer, even when we don't believe, to say, now will you believe me? Like, like I told you, I didn't trust him a year ago when we entered into lockdown. I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. But he proved me wrong. I had belief in him. I had faith in him. But I didn't think it would come through. And he did it anyway. And we just have to believe in him. Even when we pray to an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God, we're still sometimes astonished at his answers. With my wife's chronic kidney disease, she, she feels sick 90% of the time. Just shaky, feels bad, 90% of the time. Now, we're praying. We're praying for healing. But we also say, your will be done. Now, I don't understand the purpose for her being sick. I, she doesn't understand it. I don't understand it. Why does she have to be sick? I mean, if any, anybody in the family should be sick, it should be me. Like, she's the nice one. She's the gentle one. She's the sweet one. I'm all those opposites. And we may not understand, but we're going to trust God. Your will be done. It's what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, cup of his wrath, let this cup be passed along. Can it, can it can be removed? And then he said this, nevertheless, your will be done. And in our praying, we need to pray, your will be done. We can pray for healing or the victory over sins or victory over whatever situation is taking place, but we always say, in your will be done. It may not be until heaven when we're able to see his grand purpose and we have all understanding before we'll go, of course, of course, now I understand. And, and we're resolved to do that. That's a part of the power of prayer because it changes me. It changes you. It gives me peace. If this is God's will, I can, have, I, can, I can have rest in that. I can have peace in that. And his power transforms my thoughts. Paul said, Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We, don't, we think we understand, but we don't understand. He does. He's taken us through that. So we pray with one eye closed out of reverence and one eye open watching for his answer. And that answered prayer encourages other believers. What did Peter say? Go tell James and all the brothers they're going to be encouraged by this, the answer to prayer. And we're still encouraged that this took place. The gospel looks like this in this story. As unbelievers, we're, we're chained to our human condition of sin and we have the sentence of death by committing trespass against God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We're, we're chained to that. But God sent his only son into our dungeon to release us and set us free by taking our punishment for us. See, punishment had to be, had to be exacted out. So punishment must have taken place and it had to be done by someone else. And Jesus qualified and God received it. No matter what you have done, he can receive you if you just believe him as your savior. When we put our faith in God, we're no longer slaves. We are his children. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It isn't a little condemnation. It's no condemnation. And we can get up and walk out as free women and men. So is anything too hard for the Lord? Is your situation too hard? Is it too hopeless? Is it too far gone? Your problem may be driving you to prayer. But pray. Pray and receive the peace and rest in His power that He'll accomplish what He's going to do. But pray. God said, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that still applies to our life right here and now. Father, help us to believe. Help our unbelief. And let us come to you and pray. Let's come to you believing. And may you answer our prayers and get the glory. And when the answer is no, you get the glory and we get the peace. So Father, heal us, guide us, shape us. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.